0: Okay, welcome everybody. It is my pleasure to introduce Christina,
1: who is here from Racian. She has a, an illustrious past. Uh, I'd say she she has a, a bachelor's in, uh, a bachelor of science in electrical engineering, and then a master's in interdisciplinary engineering from Purdue, so she's coming back as a, as a boilermaker, but also a master's in systems engineering from Johns Hopkins, so she has very different kinds of experiences, and she's worked in several roles through her career, which gives us an interesting uh, diversity to talk about. And today she will introduce DOD cyber requirements and directives. And I hope we get a, a lot of interactivity here. So please take right. it away.
0: Thank you. Um, so again, my name is Christina Ledesma. I work for Raytheon down the road in Indianapolis, um, Raytheon IIS. And um, I guess the topic for today is the cybersecurity operational test and evaluation. I'm just going to Full disclosure, I'm not gonna be following slides. Um, I'll be going off my notes. um, So I hope it doesn't sound too jumbled and it's uh, organized enough to um, get notes for yourself. Um, This, just a little anecdote, this is actually my second day in a row up here on campus. So um, yesterday I was here with my daughter doing a campus uh, visit. So hopefully pretty soon um, I either have a Boilermaker or a Hoosier, whatever she decides. So um, the itinerary for today, I'm just going to go through an introduction, introduce myself, give uh, a little bit more detail into um, my background. Uh, then we'll talk a little bit about um, cybersecurity um, and industry overview, um, kind of why it's important that you guys are here studying what you're studying. Um, and then just the DOD industry overview, kind of what me and my counterparts do um, as part of um, a cybersecurity team in Indianapolis or within Raytheon in general. And then I'll go into the, um, the topic of discussion, which will be operational test and evaluation. I'll start off with an overview of the Systems V, which is what we follow for our um, product lifecycle to make sure that we can um, deliver a product that is ready for operational test um, and evaluation. And then I'll just close, and you guys can go home and start studying for finals. <laughs> so um, I understand it is dead week. So um, who am I? Like, they, like he said, I am a Purdue alum. I was here, I graduated before the turn of the century. That sounds like a long time ago. Um, not so, it doesn't seem that long ago for me. So I did study electrical engineering. And um, basically that degree enabled me to um, have develop a, learn, a love for learning. So, you know, later on as I was working, um, I kind of had a, uh, an epiphany that I wanted to go into operations. Um, because I was working in an industry where I wanted to be on the, um, the, the product line. Um, so I went back and I got a, a master's degree in industrial engineering, and I focused on material handling um, and um, graduated in um, 2007. I never got to use that degree because um, shortly thereafter I changed um, industries within which I worked. So, um, But I did continue learning, um, and then I realized that there is a way to um, get a degree in what I was doing um, at that time. So um, I, while I was working, I was able to obtain a master's in science through Johns Hopkins in systems engineering, um, completed that in 2013. So um, don't know what I'm gonna study next, if anything, because now I've got kids to put through college. So um, my work experience kind of lends itself to today's topic, which is tests, because coming out of school um, here at Purdue, I went and worked for Motorola in the telecommunications industry. Um, at that point, I was testing the software that we were putting on our base transceiver stations. Um, you guys refer to them as towers, you know, when you drop your calls. That's because someone might not have tested the software very well. Um, <laughs> I don't work there anymore, so it's not my fault. Um, didn't spend too much time at Motorola. Um, I went to go work in R&D for General Motors on hybrid technology. And that hybrid technology was the technology we were putting in um, buses, uh, metro buses, that you would see across major cities like Washington, DC. And um, basically, in that, f- in that um, particular location, I was able to um, work on simulations, um, develop algorithms, um, do some diagnostic codes that would be popping up if we ever, ever hit a failure situation, um, as well as um, oil level sensor um, data collection, which um, did a whole lot of stuff and I even got to um, enjoy a little bit of field engineering, which it's a little bit overrated Sometimes all the travel you do, but um, you definitely learn a lot while you do it um, On a personal level, I'm married. I have three kids two teenagers and uh, a little 11 year old um, I have a dog that weighs more than I do um, But I love him to death and then um, in my free time what I've been doing is brainwashing my children to um, see their future in a STEM career at regardless of what their age is. So um, that's just a little bit about me. Um, just want to talk to you guys a little bit about the industry the cyber and cybersecurity and how it's important and why it's important. Um, basically, if you think about the evolving technologies we have, we have a huge um, growing attack surface. So when you think of medical, um, one of the considerations is that we have legacy and obsolete software and hardware. Um, and these are connected to systems that are both large and smaller that are connected to larger systems. So um, it just provides a huge attack surface um, that needs to be protected in some manner. Um, and, you know, just a interesting little anecdote is three out of four hospitals um, do not have a designated IT security professional. So um, the industry is wide open um, in that regard. And one of the reasons the um, medical industry um, has certain... Um, security issues is because they're dealing with um, personal information and your medical history is pretty permanent. You can't change history. Well, people try to, but, um, you know, that medical history can um, be replicated, duplicated and stolen um, for whatever nefarious reasons people have. So the other aspect of the medical field is they have all these open life portals where you can access your own. So there you go, you have another attack vector. In the education, you guys are familiar with higher education, there's Wi-Fi everywhere, there's computers everywhere. So the attack surface here, I mean, at a university of 40,000 students must be tremendous. Um, So taking that into consideration, um, your guys IT professionals are probably um, pretty busy with securing this particular location. Um, A little anecdote with regard to um, something I've experienced at a personal level. Um, My son had a classmate who was suspended Um, within the past year for doing a little bit of mischievous hacking into their elementary school. So, education is, you know, maybe not as secure as we expect it to be. Um, For law enforcement, um, the smaller departments have smaller budgets, so they may not be able to employ um, security professionals as well. And, you know, the consideration must be given to the fact that They need to be protecting um, victims data um, as well as all the other data records that they're maintaining um, both long term and short term so um, you know moving on into banking um, like i talked about patients banking has a lot of um, portals for customers to be um, accessing the um, all the assets or whatever is within the system so the attack surface is opened up just based on the fact that they've given their customers access to their own accounts through the um, the web portals, um, and then government. We can think of um, nation states like uh, Korea, Iran, North, um, and then uh, China and Russia. Because you know, one of the new um, areas is cyber warfare. So, um, depending on who are your friends or your foes, um, you can be your government can be an attack surface. Um, and then into automotive, you think about all the technology that is included in the vehicles that are being developed. Um, we now have Wi-Fi in our cars. We're connecting via Bluetooth. Um, and if you think about your vehicle, it's a couple thousand pounds. And if it can be weaponized through someone hacking into it, you've just created you know, potential for a lot of weapons floating around. So just to go into uh, the DoD industry and kind of what you know, we do with, um, within um, maybe DoD so Raytheon and you know, some of our other competitors. So one of the um, activities that we participate in, um, cyber related is all of the products that we produce. Um, we are basically conducting a cybersecurity vul- vulnerability maintenance cycle and that's where we're just patching and making sure that our products have the um, most secure posture as possible. And we do this on a regular basis um, the other um, activity that is done um, by myself and my counterparts um, would be rmf which is the risk management framework um, and basically this is done so that the um, products that we're developing for our customers can obtain an authorization to operate in the military and tactical environments and um, it's a six-step process and it starts with categorizing the system and making sure you understand what the system is that you're building or the product um it can be as small as a board it could be a network but just making sure that it can meet the in the end result it can meet whatever the uh, mission is so you start by categorizing um, then you select all the controls that you're going to say that the system has um is going to be abiding by um, and then you implement those controls and you assess them and you make sure that um you're meeting those controls and you may have to do a few iterations between implement and assess assess because you might not get it right the first time or you might find more information as you're going through the process. Um, And then just basically at that point, you get the authorization and you work through that. Um, Step six is the monitor, which comes into that CVM cycle I mentioned that we do before, which is maintaining the security posture and minimizing the risk. So um, there's also red team, blue team activities that happen, not necessarily at my particular site, but um, I think within cybersecurity for DOD. Um, and I think you guys are probably familiar with red team and blue team. It's the offensive, defensive, and within the system. We also do um, penetration testing. Um, this is uh, being added to our repertoire in Indy. And um, is basically, just, you're just determining the strengths and the weaknesses of the system that you're working on. Um, You guys have probably heard of anti-tamper, and that's, you know, basically it is protecting the um, intellectual property. And not everybody has some sort of intellectual property, but it is definitely a consideration for anybody who's working in um, any cybersecurity field. So, you know, we do the analysis to see if it is applicable to the products that we're working on. So, um, within DOD, there's um, DOD 8570, um, and the long and short of it states that if you are um, any kind of personnel that is, has access to, uh, privileged access to any system that's going to be delivered to a DOD customer, um, that you have to have some sort of certification. Um, and in some cases, you have time to get it before uh, the contract takes um, full effect, but... Um, I can tell you with my cohorts in Indianapolis, a majority are either CISSP or Security Plus. So um, just taking that into consideration, you guys might want to start looking at that as far as when you start your your, uh, careers. Um, Certifications um, sometimes work a little bit better than the letters at the end of your name as well. Um, So I guess we're gonna get a little bit into what I call the Systems V. And the reason this is important is because as we look forward to operational test and evaluation, the um, the reason you are working in the systems V is because that's your development life cycle, and that feeds the operational test and evaluation. And the reason you're doing an operational test and evaluation on a system is because you're trying to d- to get to a point where you have approval to go into full produ- to production and um, deploy that system. So, the systems V. Um, has a left side, a right side, and a bottom. On the left side, it's a lot of, it's where we'll start with the CONOPS, and it's at the top. If you, want to, if you can picture the V, it starts at the top. And um, developing the CONOPS and evaluating what your mission threads are. As you go forward, um, you know, from the left side of the V, you, everything can trace to the right side. So at the CONOPS level, you also need to be considering and thinking about the uh, system validation plan, because the right side of the V is actually your integration and test side so everything kind of flows back and forth and you have to consider both sides at the same time so going from the con ops and you're dealing with the and identifying your um, how the how the system is going to be used with your con ops and your mission threads and your use cases um, from that you can develop your requirements so um, the requirements um, need to be developed in terms of thinking about um, the verification methods as well because when you define the requirements um, you have to give additional information for the rationale as well as how you foresee that particular requirement being developed. Um, So just backtracking to CONOPS, you know, when you're thinking about how something's going to operate, you also need to take into consideration the um, cybersecurity um, effects on it and any attack vectors. So if you have a mission thread that has a possible...
2: You might want to tell folks what CONOPS means.
0: Oh, that's a good point. So CONOPS is a concept of operations. Sorry, there's a lot of um, jargon that um, I forget if it's easy to get into it. But so the CONOPS or the concept of operations is um, basically from a cyber standpoint, when you're going through those mission threads from, you know, every discipline is looking at it for um, information of what they're going to be inputting into the next um, phase, which is the requirements. So if they see that we have a potential threat um, based on some kind of network, that is going to be connected to your system. Then, in your requirements phase, you flow that down and you develop a requirement around that, um, and that becomes, you know, some cybersecurity level requirement. So, um, the next phase after that is the design. So, you're taking your requirements and you're um, coming up with the next specs, the next set of specs, and you're detailing and you're doing your trade studies to identify how to build the system and out of your trades you should be able to build um, what you have so you know that is basically the right side of the view when you get to the bottom is the implementation so it's taking all the results of your trades um, and you know sometimes it's you know what's the best IDS from a cybersecurity standpoint how are we going to um, you know exercise HPSS or is HPSS the right tool um, or you know basically you've done trades that determines what you're going to be implementing from a cybersecurity standpoint, from a software standpoint, from a system standpoint, from a hardware standpoint. And that's the bottom of the V. Um, So you're going to basically, from there, you've got your system built. You're going to start building it, um, put all the pieces together at the unit level, then build your subsystems, and then pull into your full system. And at each level, as you're going up the right side of the V, you're going to be testing and evaluating to make sure that each step iteration is what you need.
2: So let me try to explain this and see if I got it right. So concept of operations might be you want to use a UAV to travel over a given territory and have it come back. Mm -hmm. So the mission threads would be at some point in time it's going to be sending back video along its route. another point it may be um, trying to intercept traffic. Mm -hmm. And then the threats would be if it has to connect through a satellite, how that link could be disrupted.
0: Yep. communication um, channels, exactly. If the
2: information is coming back over the internet, how do you secure a virtual private network to that connection? If it has, has to use any type of non-DOD networks, or if right. it's going to use DOD networks, how does it make sure it stays within that? And those would be your mission threads. And the concept of operations, it goes out, does its mission, and comes back. Yes. And yep. those mission threads could change? It could be over water at one time, it could be over land another time. It could be dropped from an airplane a third time. So you have to take all those into consideration. Mm-hmm. Is that how it works?
0: Yes, yes, okay. absolutely. And okay. you know, sometimes you, you know, you can get pic- you'll see the concept of operations displayed in a pictorial set of images and saying this is, you know, you can follow the flow pictorially. Or it's, it's, it's a description as such. But sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words as well. Um, so I guess going into, I think I left off on the right side of the V. The right side of the V is our test and evaluation, um, and that's what, where we're verifying that we've built our system as we expect based on the comps, based on the requirements, based on the design, um, and that um, it actually meets the requirements and everything's consistent. So when you get to your final validation and you say, yes, I'm, I've got my system, it's complete, it's been fully validated, um, in addition to that, you have to have your ATO, which is your authorization to operate. So then you can go into your um, oper- operational test and evaluation um, phase or test events. Um, and all these will be scheduled, and I can get into that a little bit later. But um, really the uh, the objective is just ensuring some, from a cybersecurity standpoint going forward, is just ensuring that you have some kind of level of system resiliency. Um, so um, the reason to talk about the operational test and evaluation is because um, recently there was a new memorandum that came out um, that provided guidance and indicating that operational test and evaluation is not going to include cybersecurity um, on our programs. So a memorandum is really just guidance that is provided in our industry and it typically identifies areas for improvement or change. Um, and this one kind of came with a new change for us in the, in the industry. So from my side, I usually deal with what happens within the V, and then um, our customer takes the product and runs it through operational test and evaluation, but we need to understand what's happening after it leaves our hands. Um, so the, and the whole purpose...
2: So will that memorandum turn, find itself in bids for solicitation, or will it Will it constrain funding for different projects? Do you know so we don't know
0: yet because it just came out this month. Okay. Um, so we're just learning and kind of trying to swallow all the information associated with it. But um, it's basically um, for any contracting company that's delivering a, a weapon system, a network, um, any kind of platform to the government. Um, so it just basically it's ensuring now that um, it's doing the due diligence after the fact to make sure that it's also secure and cyber resilient um, with regard to its operational environment. So the,
2: the memorandum, what <coughs> Sorry. So the memorandum, does it reference any standards like NIST standards or the OD um, standards for cybersecurity?
0: It it talks a little bit about eighty eighty five hundred oh one, um eighty five hundred oh two. I didn't memorize them all, but I do know those two are specifically in there. Um so I didn't. um, I don't have the answer as far as any other controls that it's referencing. But
2: but it does reference, and that was really Oh, it does. It does. Yeah, sorry.
0: Uh And it's it's a follow-on to a previous um, uh, operational test documentation. So it just says, here's what's new. Um, So it's applicable um, because there is an instruction already out there that says for cybersecurity systems that we need to be ensuring that it's both secure and resilient, like I said before. and there's a focus area for this, and it's basically ensuring that the uh, information resources are trustworthy, um, that the missions are um, ready for information resources um, to be de- degra- degradation or loss within the mission, um, and then just making sure that our network operations have a means to prevail um, in the face of any kind of attack, so recovery. Um, so we need to, at this point, be uh, assessing how the um, systems are operating in the field, how the operators are using them, um, and then making sure that that's, we can protect the system from anything that's out, out toward and attacking the system. So um, basically, our is gonna have to include, you know, before we release it, to make sure that when they do their evaluation, that uh, we've already done an evaluation for um, cybersecurity defenses and some level of identification of the vulnerabilities. Um, we already do that in some respect with regard to um, scans, but um, just making sure that we need to add anything else to it. Um, so that is where the, um, there's two assessments that the DOD has uh, called out in their um, new memorandum. and Those those assessments are called the uh, Cooperative Vulnerability and Penetration Assessment, um, as well as the Adversarial Assessment, um, and these both of these uh, results from these assessments are going to be informing the overall evaluation of operational effectiveness and the suitability and survivability. So these are going to feed that final report for the operational test and evaluation. Um, so you know, the there's going to be a few examinations on prevention. So that's basically the ability for the system to protect itself um, or protect the critical mission functions from cyber threats. Um, mitigation is the ability for for it to be able to detect and then respond to um, those cyber threats and um, survive those attacks and then the recovery so are we losing out on any mission mission critical tasking so is can the system recover from attack um, once it's responded to and um, recovered basically so some pre-operational tests and evaluation Factors that are driving the scope is, you know, we're looking at the operational context. Um, what is the mission load? What are the missions being supported um, and when we need to understand that? So that way we can have an idea for how to secure the system at the development stage um, Because the operational test environment is going to be making sure that these are the things that are being checked. So um, also the um, the system extent and looking at any peripherals and, and um, similar devices that are going to be Part of the system. So, being able to plan for that and being able to um, make sure that that prevention and and the security against that is being designed into the system beforehand um, is going to be kind of a key thing for us to start doing and making sure um, any system unique attributes. So, this is where we're going to look at the architecture and determine any key performance parameters, KPPs. I don't know if that's a familiar term for you guys but it's kind of standard for us. Um, and then measures of effectiveness, which are the MOEs. Um, and just making sure that if we have those defined and making sure that we can meet those, those might even be um, you know, released to the customer and say, this is what um, we have developed against. So that way, when they get to operational tests and evaluation, we know, they know what to expect. Um, so there might already be documentation released from the developer um, or the contractor Um, through, that will flow through into the operational test and um, evaluation. Um, And the other um, scope that we're going to be looking at um, going forward will be um, basically identifying cross-domain solutions because that could be a, that's a specialized component. Not necessarily um, every system has it because not every system needs a cross-domain solution. But, you know, that will come out of the con ops to determine if that's needed. And then we have to make sure that it works as we plan. Um, and then that way when it gets to operational test and evaluation, it works based on how they're going to be challenging it. Um, so you know one of the main things um, is just planning. Um, basically from the operational test part of it, you know the director is going to have to there's a director of operational test and evaluation and he's the one who's going to be providing all the approvals, um, reviewing the test plan specifics and then, Um, Also reviewing any tools that are going to be used. Um, So he has the uh, authority to say everything is good and in the final stage. Yes.
2: When you talk about cross domain, are you talking about crossing between different security networks?
0: Yes. Or or even you know dealing with um, different levels of, of of communications as far as, you know, some might not, some might be on class versus classification. So, and, and those actually are gonna be their own networks in general, but it's gonna be, um, how, do, how do we manage that? Okay. Um, so then, you know, just basically one of the um, informations that inform our operational test and, and evaluation is developmental test and evaluation. That kind of comes in prior to doing our OT and E. So. That's the uh, acronym for Operational Test and Evaluation. And then there's DT&E. So um, DT&E comes first, than OT&E, but the DT&E um, allows us, the developers, to take those results and then make sure we can fix any mitigations or provide mitigations um, that are in the system prior to ot So one of the misnomers, I think, within um, for some people is that you know e is trying to get you, but you have a DT&E to allow you to be successful in OT&E. So mm-hmm. developmental tests and evaluation comes first, then you go into the operational test and evaluation. And the reason that we have so many cycles of tests is so that way we can put out the best product possible. Um, and that way when we get to operational test and evaluation, it's just providing all the documentation, um, going through the tests and being successful because Ideally, the goal is to get these products out to the warfighter because a lot of times they help them do their jobs and do it better and faster. So um, that's a little side note, but um, that's kind of where the DT um, comes from. Um, It it just kind of gives us another avenue to make sure that we are on track to be successful for operational testing and evaluation. Um, And and another consideration for planning is just make sure you have the resources. Um, a lot of times these events are planned months in advance um, because you got to make sure you have the right people there. You have to make sure you have the environment set up. Um, you may have to change locations because um, things may have changed. Uh, you may not have access to um, parts of the network you need at one location versus another. So um, making sure all this is done ahead of time is uh, pretty key for um, planning. Um, so one of the evaluations that um, they are... Um, requiring for the cybersecurity side during OTE is the cooperative vulnerability and penetration assessment, uh, and this can be you know a standalone test. It can be a series of tests, and or it can be part of an integrated test. So it really just depends on the system under under test or that's being evaluated, um, how it's created and developed. Um, the one important note for the CVPA, which is the cooperative vulnerability and penetration assessment, is that you can do it as early as possible, but within the right time frame for the next test, which is the adversarial assessment. Because if you do it too soon, some of the information that you collect and gather can become OBE by the time you um, get to the adversarial assessment.
2: And what does OBE mean? Um, Overcome by
0: events. Overcome by events, yeah. yes. Yeah, we use it so much. Um, <laughs> you forget what it stands for, I know. <laughs> so. Um, no, I'm just- I apologize. I apologize. No, that's okay. I have the terms. That's on the asking. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. So um, the other part is, you know, like I've mentioned a lot, a lot of things get, everything is documented. Um, I know it's the hard part of a lot of the work we do is it's fun getting in there and tinkering, but then documenting what you did. So even with every phase and every aspect of the programs that we work on, everything has to be documented. So like all of our test plans and everything going forward, the CV, um, CVPA is also being referenced in the, the TEMP, which is the Test and Evaluation Master Plan. So when you go into a program, that's going to be developed and it's going to have to identify a lot of information. I'll talk about what's in the TEMP a little bit later, but um, the CVPA um, is is definitely going to be traceable to that master test plan that we have, or the it's the Test and Evaluation Master Plan. But um, they, um, basically, your temp is one of the documents that is going to be referencing and making sure that you've covered cybersecurity as part of your um, thought process. And then you have an operational test plan. And the operational test plan provides a little more detail, but um, the CVPA is also going to be part of the operational test plan as well. Um, so the CVPA, it's going to be um, evaluated and you have to consider um, like I said, schedules and locations and making sure everybody's there. Um, But then the system under test is gonna have to also be in consideration, making sure it's configured correctly for the um, CVPA evaluation. Um, And this is where you're going to be able to do, they're gonna be doing a series of vulnerability scans um, on the system. So it's gonna identify what the patching status is as well. And, you know, like I talked about the CVM cycle, which is our cyber vulnerability management cycle or maintenance cycle, this is where the patching and maintaining comes in. And before you release a system to test, you want to make sure that your posture is as good as possible. And That's kind of where, uh, when you, the CVPA is going to be looking and say, well, how well did you get it secured before you handed it off to us? Um, and then it's also going to be doing some, like, like this name states, where there's going to be penetration testing. So we have to make sure our system is prepared for this penetration testing that's gonna be happening. And the hope is that um, the data that feeds, that comes from the CBPA, it's gonna feed and inform the adversarial um, assessment, which is gonna be, in general, uh, sounding like a a, a kind of a black box testing, but they're just gonna throw what they can at it. And you're going, basically at that point, you're gonna hope that you've secured it um, as practicable as possible. So um, the purpose of the adversarial Assessment, or the AA, not Alcoholics Anonymous, but um, is to characterize uh, the operational effects of the critical missions um, caused by some threat representative um, cyber activity. So um, this is where we have to make sure that the environment that it's being conducted in is representative of what we think it's going to be in the tactical network or in the environment that it's going to be used in. So the whole idea is to make sure that all of the tests that they're conducted and the purpose to make sure that that system that you just created um is not necessarily affected by the cyber attacks and you then the soldier or the warfighter can't complete <coughs> its mission using the product or the network or the platform that you've just created so um that's where the um the adversarial is going to be probably the most unknown for i guess folks like us because we have not witnessed it but um if we if we have built the system to be as secure as possible um, it should not be a problem. So um, again resources for the AA, the AA is pretty much the same, making sure you have the right testers, the right evaluators, they brought in their um, toolkit to um, attack and beat up on the system. So um, there's there's a few players to, to consider. I've talked about the Director of Operational Test and Evaluation, and he's going to be providing guidance and monitoring the test events. Um, he's going to be reviewing and approving um, documentation that's going to be coming through based on the systems. Uh, and then there's the OTAs, and these are the Operational Test Agencies. And they're going to be basically providing the documentation to the Director of the Operational Test and Evaluation. <coughs> Um, they'll also be writing a, a concept, a test concept, to make sure that here is what we're going to be doing. And this is usually done in advance of our test execution. So, like I said, everything has to be planned and sequenced appropriately. Um, the CVPA has to happen before the AA, and this is all part of the, the operational test and, and evaluation sequence. And all this happens way after we've done, we've walked through our, our systems V. So, to kind of bring it all together there. Um, and then the program managers, and these are the ones who are going to be providing the funding because everything costs money. So um, they also provide the TEMP, which is the Test and Evaluation Master Plan, and that's going to be assessed by the, um, the OTAs, the, um, the Operational Test Agencies, and the Director, uh, the DOTe. <coughs> so basically, all the documentation flows to the person who makes the decision. Um, the results of the testing um, flows to the... Um, the director of operational test and evaluation as well. So um, the reason for doing all this is because you have to have a paper trail. So um, at least that's kind of my perspective of it. Um, And you don't want to do anything without documenting it. (coughs) So that test and evaluation master plan, it from a high level defines your strategy. Um, It identifies resources that are going to be used for test or that have been used for test. and then the operational test plan is um, how the test is actually conducted. Um, it defines your test environment, um, what makes it an operational test environment, um, and any simulators you may have to do because maybe use because you know not there's not always a case where there, there's not a case where you have perfect a perfect system. And in some cases, you're like, I don't have this piece. I need to substitute or simulate it in one way or another to feed. You know, it might be some kind of communication link. Um, You just don't know, but you have to be able to have those mitigations in place prior to testing. Um, The other aspect and information that is key inside the operational test plan is um, how do you set back your system to a baseline before it had started to get beat on by the testers? So how do you basically revert back and make sure you have a clean system once it's been attacked? Um, And then, like I said, test data and being aware of how to collect the data what needs to be collected what format it needs to be delivered in um, and what to expect so all that information all that data um, does have a timeline as far as when it needs to be delivered and say that to, to indicate that the testing is complete um, so the cyber security part of it is just it's just a piece of the operational test and evaluation but um, it's now been highlighted as something that is a focus area. Um, <coughs> some other information that the temp is going to have is, is going to have the architecture, your system architecture, your product architecture will be in there. Um, and included, you h- might have a timeline of what it will take to um, conduct any um, testing, um, any resources that will be needed for testing, um, the operational environment. Um, It'll be, you know, in that you'll be identifying your attack surfaces for the system under test as well. Um, and then TEMP will also be referencing the CVPA and the um, adversarial assessment. So, I mean, everything ties together, everything is, becomes linked. Um, and that's kind of how it is. If you pull a string, you can get all the way back to the beginning of um, developing the CONOPS. So, um, in closing, because I'm starting to get choked up here, So emotional. Um, I just want to thank you guys for your time um, and, you know, listening. But, you know, considering that, you know, there's some numbers. Numbers are really cool for me. Um, The cybersecurity field, which is what I'm assuming you guys are interested in, is wide open. And there's lots of opportunities. But the the demographics are kind of staggering right now. So one in ten cybersecurity professionals are women. So I'm one in ten. one in ten um, cybersecurity professionals are either African-American, Latino or Asian. So I'm one in ten. <laughs> um, but the there is such a huge gap and a huge need for cybersecurity professionals right now. Um, I think globally, there's about a million unfilled positions. So keep studying, keep doing what you're doing, um, because by 2021, if we don't start filling those positions, it's going to be about three million. Um, I can tell you that our cyber team just hired and filled four positions, so I think we're hopefully closing that gap, the million jobs, and we have five requisitions out to get five more people within our cybersecurity team. So I really uh, encourage you guys to um, take every opportunity you can within the cybersecurity field because um, I think the sky is the limit, and it is such there is so much you can do within it. And you don't, it's not always DoD. Um, there's it's across every industry, and it's important to um, just about everything we touch these days. So um, before I can't talk anymore, um, I'm going to conclude. Thank you, guys. Thank you.
2: If Raytheon is the prime on a contract that this memorandum applies, will they be able to trickle that down to the subcontractors, or will basically Raytheon will be the main? So
0: we don't. I mean, and I don't really have a good answer because I know we don't necessarily have um, on some of the programs I'm working on. We don't have subs. We are are the prime, or we are the sub. So it's up to us to make sure that. we are preparing for this. Um, I can tell you that in my history of working on a program that did have a sub, we did try and help them prepare as best as possible for OT&E and to take in, you know, considerations that we felt were requirements for, you know, a a successful delivery. And so um, I have a feeling that we, it'll probably be levied, you know, and flowed down um, just based on that, but um, there's only so much you can do within your um, subs, especially if it's not written into the contract initially. So because this just came out, it may not affect things that, you know, and things yet, our programs yet, until maybe we go into new development. Okay. But at that point in time, you can levy on the primes and say, here's what we are looking forward to. And I say looking forward meaning forward looking, not necessarily we're happy about it, <laughs> um, so.
1: And it's also an interesting question on how much these existing projects can still be changed. Yes, Just adding absolutely. security on as mm-hmm. an afterthought yeah. is Yeah, because I mean,
0: when you're doing agile development, um, you can flow back um, new requirements a lot more easily. Um, uh, and in programs that don't have the cybersecurity baked in, um, I think that's a challenge. But um, if there's you know, updates being made, then you can probably trickle it in there. Um, and, and I think as long as you're up front and with the customer and, and re- letting them know, hey, this is this is a requirement, and this is why we're doing it, um, and you have that relationship, it's it's all possible.
3: Uh, I'm going to be working with uh, uh, Northrop uh, Grumman over the summer, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but I, I've been. Well, they're
0: going to they're going to be beholden to this as well.
3: Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm 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 sure. But I, I had a more uh, at a. Uh, uh more general question uh regarding working with uh d o d and uh stuff like that um the uh the S- the snowden documents have been uh have been pretty revelatory in the fact that uh the d o d seems to be pretty happy with uh using weapons that have been designed for foreign adversaries uh to be uh, uh to be used against American citizens. Um what is your thought on that and how uh and how is that uh how can you kind of square that circle of of potentially the stuff that you are potentially that you are working on right now uh potentially making their way into uh other uh agencies hands
0: um so First of all, I'm, I have not read the, them because I think, you know, if it's, I think there's a requirement for us to not to go out to like WikiLeaks because that can, you know, we'd have to self-report and self-disclose because if you hold a clearance, you probably, we don't look at things that we probably shouldn't be looking at. Um, but I think what you're asking is how can I reconcile the ability the, that we're developing weapons that can be used against our own citizens? Um, I reconcile it um, with the fact that the products that I know that I'm working on are for, I understand what the end user is going to be doing with them. So um, nothing that I've touched at this point um, has been, um, could be weaponized against our people, um, our soldiers. So um, I can deconflict it that way, I suppose. Um, at this point in time, I haven't wor- worked, everything I've worked on has been a little l- lower technology, I guess, so to speak. Um, so that's, I guess, how I've been able to reconcile it. Um, I can tell you, talk, I've talked to pilots who've used some of the products I've worked on and they either like them or they don't and they give us the feedback about how, what they don't like about them, what they do. So um, that's helpful. Um, so, I, and I know that just having that sense of being able to talk to some of our customers and the end users, about the products we've put in their hands um, and how it's made some of their jobs easier, um, I think helps me. Um, also, knowing that um, I have a brother in the Marines and he is a Marine reservist, and he's actually, um, you know, talks to me about some of the tools and equipment he uses that he can discuss with me. And it, it feels good because I know that companies like Raytheon, Northrop Grumman, are. Basically, assisting our soldiers in in um, when they're in the tactical environments. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, it's not probably not a satisfactory, fast factory, but um, I tend to uh, when I can't when they have WikiLeaks stuff. We, I don't go out there because no matter how curious I am, um, it might be a conflict of interest for my own work. <coughs> Other Well, thank you guys for coming on Dead Week.